Chapter 1. London, England. I assure you, Mr. McKnight, Walter Turley said through the telephone, the board of directors will go along with whatever decision I make regarding the sale of the First International Bank of New Britannia. A rush of adrenaline went through Ian McKnight. His company had been negotiating for the purchase of the largest bank on the Isle of New Britannia for nearly two years, and, until this phone call, which had come without forewarning, his team had made little headway. Or so it had seemed. Now, suddenly, it looked as though there was the very real possibility they could complete the purchase of the bank. That would give Pegasus International Enterprises its first foothold in the Bahamas, which was something his father's company had been trying to accomplish for quite some time. You don't foresee any regulatory complications, Ian asked. The banking industry in the Bahamas was notoriously corrupt, though recent changes in international law had curtailed many of the irregularities and outright criminal behaviour. This sale won't be postponed by investigations into whether or not everything's on the up and up, will it? Not a chance. Not even a smidgen of a chance, Walter replied. Ian didn't like the smugness in the bank president's tone. In truth, he didn't trust the banker, but that didn't really matter. Ian and his family did a lot of business with men they didn't trust. What really mattered was that the business transaction was profitable for the family-owned, private corporation, Pegasus International Enterprises, and that any problems that cropped up, legal or otherwise, were handled without the scrutiny of the press. The company was so private in all of its dealings, it had hired a public relations firm to do nothing but keep its name out of the newspapers. One of the things Ian's grandfather, the founder of the company, had impressed upon his children and grandchildren was that what transpired in the family stayed only with the family. To Ian's great-grandfather, blood was infinitely thicker than water. He also believed an honest man's handshake was worth a thousand times more than a contract written by the most scholarly legal mind. If he didn't trust a man's handshake, he sure as hell wouldn't trust his barrister. In that case, Ian said, it seems the negotiations are progressing to the next level. Perhaps it would be best if I came to see you, so we can discuss this transaction in more intimate detail. He was careful to make the offer flattering without fawning. Men of the banker's ilk would pounce on another person's weakness without a moment's regret. Ian almost saw the man smile with conceited appreciation. Yes, Walter said, his tone more oily than usual. I would appreciate that very much. We should be able to hammer out whatever differences we have in a few days. Shall we schedule a three-day visit beginning two days from now? Ian replied, That sounds perfect. He thought the man to be an arrogant bastard, but he kept that particular opinion to himself. I'll bring my team with me and we'll see you in two days. I don't suppose you could recommend a hotel? I'll take care of the arrangements. You'll be my guest. There was a pause. And how many rooms will you need? Can I give you the answer to that in a couple of minutes? Of course. Excellent. Then I'll sign off for now. He hung up the phone. Ian knew, professionally speaking, he needed his right and left hands with him. They were Jason McDowell and Roger Faust, each a vice president in the company, though not executive vice president, which was Ian's title. He outranked them, but not by much. Blood ties and great skills kept him running the department. But should he ask his administrative assistant to come along? She'd been with the organisation for nine months and she'd proven herself to be terribly valuable and loyal beyond question. But she was young and single and though there had been some flirting in the office, nothing of a sexual nature had ever occurred between him and Ashlyn. And for all he knew, nothing had happened between her and Jason or Roger either. 
Not that Ian didn't think about it. In fact, he found himself fantasising about her more often than he cared to admit. But she was under his employ, and that meant she was completely and totally off-limits as far as sexual partnering was concerned. Besides, he wasn't in the market for any woman who wanted permanence. If there was anything about Ash Lynn that Ian was convinced of, it was that she wasn't the sleep-around type. Oh no, she wasn't that at all. Suspecting he was making a mistake, Ian touched the intercom button. Ash Lynn, would you come in here, please?